introducing Mr. Quantum himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening. However you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome in. This is part two of From Russia with Love, the Fleming vs. Film series. Again, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books, one of my favorite movies. We're going to decide which one is better because so many times Fleming gets credited with being... Um, you know, the genius go back to Fleming, go back to the source material. But I think sometimes we don't always give the credit to the filmmakers that they deserve for taking Fleming's works and making them even more timeless masterpieces. And I find the novel and the movie are both timeless masterpieces. And we're going to continue our conversation with Thomas Felix Creighton. I'll be on Never Dies, Fleming Never Dies. We're going to get into some really cool stuff. Uh, I really enjoy where our conversation went here. Uh, we kind of get into the weeds a little bit, but I love doing that. I, um, I just, I just really enjoyed debating Bond and also taking Bond and putting what Bond means into real life and how he's so different. I say this all the time. He's so much different than anything else that we have out there because he's so rooted in reality. He's so rooted. You, you can be Bond or you can actually experience what Bond goes through. Of course, there's some farcical things that are in the series, but for the main part, especially with From Rush with Love, this is a grounded story. It is uh, beautifully written. It is intriguing. It is espionage at its finest. And we're going to conclude. We're going to find out which one that Thomas likes better, which one I like better. What can we decide about who did this story better, Fleming or film? Without further ado, let's get into part two of the discussion Fleming versus film from Russia with Luke. Then we get into the the tunnel, and what a cool story that, um, oh yeah, the the tunnel. And again, we're talking about the grittiness of the novel versus the glamour of the film, and the tunnel really shows yeah. that. So the tunnel is very much bats, rats. You're in a dank thing. It's terrible. You you go there, and um, you know. The film looks like it's a wonderful life on, <laughs> or what is it? It's a small world after what Disney World. It's it's just a small world, and you're on a little oh. canoe and stuff. That's what it feels like in the film. Uh, way less dark, way less uninviting. It almost looks like it's somewhere you kind of be like, oh, that'd be cool to visit as a tourist trap. Whereas a novel is like, yeah. here's something really shitty we have to do as part of the spy games. Um, which one do you like better? Compare you- and contrast that. I think before I answer, I think it gives a lot of insight into the films versus the books that what you see in the film is the Hall of Pillars, um, which is the place you can visit as a tourist. I've been like, three times, but it is a very, very beautiful place. Uh, but when you see Karen Bay with the rowboat, that's almost certainly the Hall of Pillars. Whereas in the book, it says that they went underneath the Hall of Pillars. They realize there's a tunnel going into there. And so you really get to see what's going beneath mm-hmm. what all the tourists can see. <laughs> so I think, as you say, Fleming shows the darker underworld yeah. because the films often show what you can go see yeah um, so what is it like you've been there I, right is it, is, it, is it beautiful yeah is it even more beautiful than what you think it looks it looks spectacular yeah, on film it, is it looks magical. like such a cool spot um, and it's great to go in the summer so in the summer istanbul is desperately hot and then you go down a, a steep series of steps into a very cool very pleasant environment uh it's full of fish 
not rats. Um, <laughs> and uh, you do see the fish in the film. If you're looking for them, I think there's one shot where you see Karen Bay puts his oar down and there's a fish just swimming along by it. Um, but it is amazing. It's definitely worth seeing. The other tunnels I might give a miss. I don't want the rats myself. <laughs> yeah, not a huge fan. The funny thing, I was on a, I was a, one of my partners in uh, the uh, unit was definitely afraid of rats, and there's rats everywhere in Baltimore. And uh, <laughs> I saw this rat in a, a little like a trash can. So I'm like, oh, you know what? I think he threw the gun in there. We were chasing somebody, and I knew there was a rat in there. And I'm, to see him open that, he goes, ah! <laughs> he's on body camera in front of the entire hood screaming about this rat it's just it's just the best irresistible <laughs> irresistible i couldn't i mean it was a giant rat i mean baltimore rats are on steroids um but yeah uh i i'm going to hands down uh give the fleming the win on the tunnel i love i love the way they do it yeah yeah and then we get into the let's see coming down more Fleming. I didn't expect this. I thought this would be more even Stevens, but so far each checkpoint, uh, apart from one or two, I think I've gone for the the book. No, you're uh, you're four to three Fleming versus film. Oh wow! Okay, yep. Okay. And I am three to four film right now. So we're oh, wow. we're, we're we are. Flesh. It's closer than you think. What's everything it? to play for? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So now we're, let's get into the gypsy camp. Now, some people I hear criticize the gypsy camp as almost taking them out of the story in the film and oh. maybe in the the novel too. But I hear that criticism a lot from Rush With Love is that the gypsy camp um, takes them out of the film. What do you think about the little detour that we have to Krichenko and, and, and the, and the, and the um, gypsy camp? I like it getting into the, the feud between uh, Kryenko and uh, Karak, the, the gypsy head. I, mm. I find this, I don't find this a detour. I find this more and more going into the world. And we see the two opposing systems, right? So we've seen kind of, if you take the book, you really see like the dark side M and you see you know, maybe the dark side Q and you see the dark side Bond perhaps. And it's all, they all mirror each other going very closely until you see, say, the gypsy camp versus the, the faceless ones, the Bulgarians. Yeah. Uh, for me, this makes a lot of sense. They're in um, the European side of Turkey. They're in a place close to the old Byzantine walls. And it's, for me, it adds color and richness to the story. Uh, I've, I've also heard kind of some people criticizing the portrayal of gypsies generally, but I'm thinking if Ian Fleming went to Istanbul and was asking Turks about gypsies, these, these are probably the stories he'd be told. Yeah. Um, it seems all the money to me, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I, I think this is what people would tell him. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I, I, I actually love this. I think that it brings such a level of, you have to understand, Bond is going into a completely foreign world. And in that foreign world, there are in, internal conflicts that he has to deal with in, you know, his little, he talks about, Darko talks about this later on in the train. He says that, you know, you're playing pool and the laws of the billiard table are one thing. You shoot the pool. If you hit the white ball to the red ball, the white the red ball goes into the hole because you can't miss. That's the law of the billiard table. But if you're playing pool and a plane comes down and crashes into your um, pool game, it doesn't matter what the law of the billiards table. There are all sorts of other mm. things working. There are other laws other than the laws of the billiard table. And I think that really is really well demonstrated in 
this gypsy camp is that, okay, we have the laws of, hey, I'm trying to get this lecture machine. I'm trying to get from Tatiana, all this stuff. But you're on the billiard table and there's a whole world around this that is also playing and also factors in. Yeah. And you have to we you know in, weave in and out of the laws of everything else that's going on. So I just, I, I thought it added so much to the story. So when people say it's a detour, I'm like, you're not appreciating the richness of the no, story. No. All right, so, I agree. And for me, maybe it rings true because, you know, I've been to parts of China where not everyone speaks Chinese. No. Um, you go into a village and they find the one waitress who speaks close enough to standardized Mandarin as possible. And you're dealing with that situation. I go to parts of Arabia. I can remember going to one village in the middle of nowhere. And there's a gentleman just slowly making his way with a machete in his hand towards me. Um, <laughs> but he's, you know. A man of standing, the machete is you know, something he needs for his own safety, and he's coming along to shake my hand, which there's no way of communicating that. He doesn't speak uh, close enough to standardize Arabic either. So there's still parts of the world not really touched by our world. Yeah. And when you head into them, it is interesting. And I think you get the feeling that Fleming conveys pretty well. Yeah. I think there's so much, of, even today, there's so much proselytization of, of your own ideals because you think that uh, you know yeah. the whole world brought in your upbringing or what did the thing they didn't and mm. they don't see things the same way that you did so your your fix of a problem mm. may not work in you kind of touch upon i love that part when bond says you know there's been enough bloodshed you need these two women to bear children can you please at the end of it can you please just stop this fight and the gypsy was like you know you should not have asked such a big burden of me this is this is our way and it very much is that. It's like you don't understand that this is what we do. This is how we do it. And yeah. you you infringed upon our, our what we've done. Um, but I love that. I love all those stories and all those competing yeah. paradigms. So I can, One great example, I mean, you can go into a tangent, but one example, I managed a language center. I managed an education center. And one of our teachers had been criticized for, you know, she needs to be friendlier. You need to be on the student's level. You know, it's all adults. So, you know, you need to treat them as adults and all that. And she was kind of uncomfortable with it sometimes. And I just said, look, look at the local form of education. The teachers don't get on the student's level. If, if, if frankly, if your way is to be authoritative and demanding, try it out and see how they react. And they reacted very, very well. All of Western teaching theory says you need to be on the student's level and be understanding. That's not what everyone in the world has been brought up with. And people have their own standards yeah. and their own ways of judging you, frankly. Um, so whilst in the West, we prefer all to be on a similar level. In many cultures, if you as a manager do that, you lose authority. If you as a yeah. teacher do that, you lose authority. Um, and you have to play by the local rules sometimes. And Turkey is an interesting one because... East and West of Turkey are so different that the West of Turkey is, well, very Western and the East is very, very Eastern. And yeah. a lot of what Fleming is writing about is the time when the West starts to become more Western rarely, which is 50s, 60s, um, as the reforms of the Republic rarely start to reach through the country. But as I say, very much on the Western side. What did, did, what, did you find anything like that in Turkey? Like, How did you find it? Did you have any kind of crazy stories from from your time in, in Cyprus or Turkey or just any kind of culture shocks while you were there? I went when I was uh, 16. So I'd say when I was 16, you know, you're still a teenager. You're still working out your own society. Yeah. You're still working out how we should do things. And of course, I suddenly find myself in a country where, you know, if I want to speak English, I can speak to my parents. I can speak to people older than my parents. There's a few retired people out there. Uh, but if I want to speak to another teenager or anything like that, 
it is only Turks and just have to learn everything from the ground up. Um, <laughs> so sometimes an overwhelming experience, but well, the older I get, the more I realize it's probably shaped me quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, so what do you have? Who do you win? Who wins the the battle of the Gypsy King? You're gonna go with uh, you're gonna go with Fleming. Or you're gonna go with film. Uh, I I will go Fleming, but the film gets the points for the wonderful portrayal of the the Gypsy King uh, with his "Thank you, thank you," <laughs> which is so on point. Is it really? I had this. <laughs> yes, it's. Was he Turkish? Where did they film this? I don't know, but it was a. Uh, it was good. It was good. It's a good portrayal. All right, I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give it to Fleming see, as well. Are, these are the best portrayal of Turks I've ever seen in a Western film. I should say. Really. Um, so the film wins overall. I've not seen generally Turks portrayed very well. Say in even Lawrence of Arabia, that I think the Turks speak a couple of words of Turkish and they're both wrong. <laughs> so I'm I'm very impressed with this film that the Turkish is right. They seem and behave like Turks, you know, movie Turks, but Turks. Do, um, do the Turks kind of? I don't generally see Turks. Do Turks kind of feel see things as black and white? That's the kind of the the feeling I got. Like even their language, apparently, their language has no deviation. There's no irregular conjugations. All the conjugations are exactly the same every time. There's no, you know, French is way off. English, who knows what they're thinking with this stuff. Um, but yeah. do, you, do you do you think that that's a rigid culture as far as there's black and white with Turks and there's a sense of what's right, what's wrong, or is there a lot of gray? Just out of my own curious I thing about being out there. I'd say there's a very firm moral sense of right and wrong. I'd say that Turks, to make a very very big generalization, but Turks can be very martial. They can be very military, which yeah. makes sense for a culture which still has national service. You know, all Turks serve in the, in the army. I might have told you before that... Uh, one of the, my teachers who taught me translation had served in the Turkish army and he was blind. Um, <laughs> they, he'd done his national service as a translator, um, but, you know, through the military. And, yeah, I, I would say it's a very martial race. It's, it's always very difficult to give kind of a description no, of a yeah. race. Or un, a culture, un, understanding that there are variants of it, but the overall, you know, you would say that you can get a feel of a place. Um, and, and I know that yeah. they, when they when they elected you know more a rigid leader you know in the last you know ten years, people were like, why would you do that? And maybe you just don't understand that that Turks want order, they want um, yeah. a rigid order. They don't want chaos. And you know they look at what's happening in the West. I'm sure, and you look at what's happening in the United States with all this this liberty. Mm. You know, everybody can do whatever they want. Yeah. Dumb shit. Um, it really. A Chinese friend, a Chinese <laughs> friend told me the problem with America is there's too much freedom. Um, <laughs> you know, I used to. Point I, of view, right? I'm, I mean, you know what? I, I gotta say, I, I, am com I can absolutely see this because you're seeing what happens with humanity when you let them have everything. We now have in Baltimore, uh, we're not allowed to even take theft reports. Like if you get, if you get something stolen from you, we don't, we don't even take the report for it anymore. If you get your car broken into, we don't even take the report for it anymore. You get your store broken into, we don't take the report for it anymore. All these things, and you're seeing what happens when you let people, when you let humanity off the leash. You're disappointed with humanity, oftentimes, and I think that's um, communism' greatest flaw. I think is that it thinks that humanity is 
innately good and innately hardworking. Mm. Whereas capitalism finds that mm, humans kind of suck unless they're, you know, incentivized. They need something to do it. Or either they get fat and lazy and bored and house cats like they talk about earlier in that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I just find the that interesting uh, that the, the Turks and people try to un- not understand that people want order um, when mm. that's the Turkish way. In, but you, in, you touched in, on language, which is my favorite thing. The Turkish language is so interesting. Over 100 suffixes, all of them have two, four, or eight versions. And there's once you learn the rules, you're set. All the rules are rigid. They all stay the same, with just a couple of exceptions. And it's got more tenses than English, because in English you just talk about the past, especially with time tenses. Mm-hmm. But with Turkish, you can also talk about the truthfulness of it. Just by building it into the language, you can tell whether it's the past that I believe, the past that I've been told, the past that I've been told and don't believe. That's really interesting. It's all interesting. built in so that you are bound to be honest by what you're saying. You're not caught out by passing on hearsay or something. There's no it's inflection. a very honest language. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah. I, I love talking about that because... Um, I always notice when you people who speak different languages, they, they change their personality as they speak the language. So if you are working, you're doing, you know, speaking Italian or speaking Albanian or something like that, your inflections become very pronounced and you're, you're that. Whereas you're speaking English, you stay kind of monotone. And, you know, English has, mm. I think, uh, 300,000 more words than the next closest language. We're a very wordy language. And I think that when yeah. we express things is by words, Whereas when a language has fewer words, you have to express them by your 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 actions, and it's very much face to face. And I just find language a reflection of a culture. It's so interesting to talk about. Yeah, it's metalinguistics, right? So in China, you could tell the difference very easily between American-born Chinese and Chinese-born Chinese. Yeah, because the American-born Chinese use their faces when they talk. They had more facial expressions oh, really? generally, whereas the Chinese will use their tones. So their tones are more expressive, but their face will often remain, you know, pretty poker-faced. Um, <laughs> so one way that we'd say, to, you know, that some of our most advanced students would say, how can I seem more natural? And it was just move your eyebrows, move your... And it was funny because you don't think about saying something and widening your eyes or saying something and smiling or saying something and raising your eyebrows. When you do, it becomes quite self-conscious yeah. and quite strange. <laughs> but getting them to be more expressive with their hands, because we look at the Italians, gosh, they wave their hands around a lot. Um, the Chinese look at us and think the same thing. Yeah, um, it's interesting. Thing. It's interesting to see how people communicate, especially you know now. Um, oh, yes. I mean, there's certain emojis, for example, that have very different meanings in uh, Chinese texting to western texting so the standard smiley face is the i hate you but i'm giving you a polite smile in china oh really it's yes it's it's the the fake smile are eggplants still so dicks to america <laughs> <laughs> eggplants are still dicks okay good all right as long as we're in the universal peaches are still butts and uh eggplants honest. are still dicks People are not sending me eggplants. I don't know if I'm doing something right or wrong. But coming to America, I felt I was doing something wrong because people kept sending me like the, the regular smiley face. And I'm used to this being kind of, that's an interesting idea, polite smile. Um, as in the British English, that's an interesting idea. Are you from Mars? Um, <laughs> 
Oh my God, that's great. And I think to kind of touch upon, you know, the communication, the communication style, the way that Darko views the world, the way that the Turks view that in the world, it's just, uh, it's just why I just love, and these rabbit holes we're going down into is exactly why I love talking about this film, this novel, because you get to dive into all these things. There's so much rich story that we can dive into with this story. Well, let's get back to it a little bit. What do you think about what Tatiana's reveal? So we've got the Fleming versus the film of Tatiana's reveal. Yeah. Um, like I can't see this without knowing in my head that this scene has been the audition for every single James <laughs> Bond ever since. And to be honest, when I'm watching this scene, I'm really not looking at Sean Connery. No. Uh, mm-mm, mm-mm. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, is he even there? <laughs> Is he shirtless? Is he wearing a tuxedo? I can't remember. <laughs> so it is a brilliant scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that I, I, I think that I give this one the film for sure because yeah. um, it is. And they say that Tatiana is dark haired, which I can't even as I'm listening to, I'm listening to the novel or I'm reading the novel, and it's so hard for me not to picture. Tatiana as a blonde because it's yeah. so iconic and so burned in my brain um, that Danielle Bianchi is 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 her. I can't imagine trying to picture her as a uh, dark-haired woman. Yeah. Now, I know the lady who played Fiona Volpe in Thunderbolts talking about how in modern films, you can show a lot. You can show a lot of skin. Yeah. But in the 60s, you can show a lot less. So I'm also sometimes struck by the movie. It's a great scene and it stays with you you're not seeing a huge amount. No. You're seeing, in some senses, less of her than you would, like, in many girls walking down the street, even though she's implied to be virtually naked under the bed sheets. You don't see it. It's yeah. all implied. And I do think that's really interesting. It's alluring. It's, it's more, scene. yeah, it's more alluring than just having, you know, you get to use your imagination more. You know what I found interesting, too, in the book? Yeah. And, and, and I thought that the way that they describe um, Tatiana is they said that... Um, she was um, she had a muscular round butt that protruded rather than a feminine flat butt. So at that point, Fleming yeah. would not have been a fan of J Lo or Kim Kardashian. He he thought that feminine butts should be flat, whereas men for the time, if if you had a big ass, you were considered muscular and, and masculine. It was uh, if it was a, a, a feminine to have a uh, flat ass. So I, I thought that was a different yeah. paradigm. Now people are paying ten thousand dollars to get fat injections into his ass to not be flat but yeah i, I think we're fleming's women all have flaws right he's quite yeah. he's quite scathing about some of his uh his female characters physical attributes but yeah. then all the flaws are given to the heroes right so Fleming's gave what james bond this scar down his face mm-hmm. which you know, doesn't fly in a film apparently no um you can talk about disabled characters because obviously by this point in the books you know Felix Leiter has lost his um, hand and leg, but we see him as a very active character, right? So whenever we have somebody with a, a missing hand or a missing leg in the movies, they're the bad guy. But in Fleming's world, the ones who are scarred are the good guys, mm-hmm. and the ones with these physical infirmity, you know, flaws, whether it's a butt or whether it's a broken nose or something, these are the Bond girls. Yep. Um, Absolutely. I think we've only had it in Quantum of Solace, right, with Camille when she had the burns down her back, where we get that at one yeah. school floor, right? So and, and it's in the back. They and it's, done this in the it's almost poorly done. It's almost like the makeup isn't very great. Mm. Camille's, I don't know, Camille's such a weak Bond girl to me. Um, 
but th- so we get into well, now. Let's get Build into the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into we got um, now we're into the train. And I I love train scenes. I love being on trains. I love looking at train scenes. I love everything about it. Um, but there's a lot of nuance that goes on. So let's go up until Kareem Bay's death. Um, what do you think about the Fleming version or the film version? Oh, the build-up to, to Kareem's death. I, I honestly feel there's not a lot in it. Um, yeah. Which one has great attention? I like. Well, I like I the no- one thing. I like when the novel starts off oh. when they got the the. So the way that the the Russians go on is they see Tatiana and then they jump on real quick. Whereas in the novel they've got the the Russians there. They know it and they one uh, Kareem does the schoolboy trick to get a ticket when he's in the lavatory, yeah. right? And then he gets him kicked off because he doesn't know German. Uh, and then all this other stuff, like a little nuanced thing, but they have one left and it's more of a playful. Whereas the film is just very much get to it. I yeah. like the filming. Ver- I, I, I'm going to give the film a pass on it because I don't think it would, I think it would have taken away the story to try to really get muddled down into how do we get these two people in? Whereas in the novel, you can kind of take liberties with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that. Um, the one difference, but rarely between the book and the film, is that we've had the explosion at the embassy mm-hmm. in the film up front, right? And that's yep. stealing the decoder. Whereas how it happens in the book, she just goes in to get her coat and takes the decoder. Yeah, that's a great that's, point, yeah. I mean, so I, I give points to the film there, and I feel sometimes the film covers over like a convenient point. Mm-hmm. Um, like you covered it previously in Goldfinger, right? When he's got the saw going between his legs and then it... Goldfinger just randomly decides, you know what? I need a secretary. Um, <laughs> it's I, a weird way to end it, right? An agency. <laughs> it's a weird way to end it. So I feel the <laughs> film sometimes do cover over these points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe in my head, maybe Tatiana is doing something so clever it can't even be put into the book for security reasons. Um, that's why we don't really cover it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. So I, I've got the film, and you're going to go with the film on that one. So. Yeah, well, Thomas, you're five to five now, and I am six to oh. four. Um, so we're okay. we're getting into the weeds here. All right, cream yeah. post cream Bay's death. Hmm. Hmm. I feel after Kareem's death, it kind of feels like this is a Bond film, and we need an action scene at the end, so we're going to do an action scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm I'm sometimes not so sold on this final. It is good, but I kind of like that in the book you get the final revenge for Karen Bay, whereas in the film it's a tragedy he's dead, and then that's kind of it. Yeah, for that I agree. story, you know. It. I like that you brought up the the revenge thing when they throw on the um, when they throw on the the bomb that he has underneath and he blows it up after the death. Yeah. Uh, I'll agree. We're gonna go. We're gonna go Fleming on that one. Both. Let's get into. Oh. Let's get into. We've got. We're gonna go, I'm gonna say one um, continuous thing up until the climax, which I view as the climax, and then they've got other things in the film. But Red Grant, the meeting between Bond, they meet each other. Um, that nuance. How do you like how the film does it versus the novel? Okay. Take the whole entirety of that thing. I like the novel for going into 
the tension, the madness, as Bond tries to work out who is this guy, what is his backstory, and comes up with a whole fictitious backstory for who this quiet backwater agent is until realizing the truth. But the film I like because of how he gets out of being at gunpoint. Yeah. I feel the film covers that better. Again, it's that the filmmakers sometimes make it less convenient for Bond <laughs> or less lucky. Yeah. Um, yep. I, I, I like what you said. So I'll, I'll, I'll break into that into to two things. I like um, the novel, the way that it builds up to the fight. I like the, the little Nash thing where that in Russian to be Nash is to yeah. be like, you know, made as they would say in the mafia, whatever be connected to be, you know, extended. Um, that little bit is pretty cool. A little bit tidbit, a little fun little fact. Um, the buildup is a little better, but I really like how the film does the the sleeping pill in there. I think it's a little done. I think the red wine um, with fish, I thought that was kind of a cool little, um, I should have caught on to that because that's kind of Red Grant's thing is that he's really good at everything, but he's so uncouth and he's so clumsy. They talk about yeah. it a lot and they talk about old man how they he's always saying old man and it's like bothering him and there's a funny part where he, where he finally reveals himself as the bad guy and uh all bond can think about is how he wants him to stop saying old man <laughs> but i like that so up until that i'm going to give the novel that and then the actual finale so the the way that bond defeats red grant as he puts the the book in where his heart is so when the book sh- shoots him the bullet stopped whereas the film has the tear gas with the attache case and then he gets it and it's a more brutal battle but you still get the you still end it with the dagger out of the attache case for me i'm gonna give that one to the film i think the film really 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 approved upon that scene i agree for the it's a visceral fight it's still the best james bond fight in a train and there's a lot to choose from yeah Um, but it just feels brutal. It feels like how it should feel. Mm-hmm. I do. Uh, you mentioned the linguistics of it, right? I always find it interesting. It would have been easy to include the linguistic stuff in the film. And, you know, we get a lot more Russian in the book when it would seem more difficult, right? Yeah. Than in a film where you've got facial expressions, context, and so much. So I feel this is one where they could have made more. So this is one not criticism of the film, but it would have made it even better if they'd included some of this. Um, but again, I, I have to go with the film as better, as, as you say, for how he poisons the wine for yeah. the fight. It's just so visceral. Um, I agree. So I do like Bond's fantasy about, who is this guy from Trieste? It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the novel, the only thing they didn't like was he was so dismissive of Tatiana's worries I thought that was kind of unbond. He really he takes the code word and accepts it as law. He's not very skeptical at all. He just Tatiana's the one where he's yeah. not he's not cartoony. Um So yeah. yeah so um, yeah. So I am. I'm going to give it to the film on this one. All right. So we got post post Red Grant. He's done. It's over with. Film has this from Tatiana has the boat chase. It has the helicopter. Whereas the novel goes straight to she's sleeping in the embassy. He got the word where Rosa Club was uh, and then he meets there. Do you, would you, do you like the little boat chase and then the, almost the second climax in the, in the, in the helicopter chase in the North by Northwest 
or would you prefer just going right to Rosa Club? I think like for a movie, it's part of the price of the tickets that I mm. get this big spectacular. <laughs> but I do feel that uh, maybe in some, you know, you said some people feel the gypsy camp is a bit of a diversion. I feel this is a bit of a diversion, but it's one that I've paid my ticket for. Yeah. Um, it's done very well. I don't see a great flaw with it or anything. It's just not my favorite part of the movie. No, um, but I, it needs to be in the movie. Yeah, I, I think that um, it almost takes away for me. It almost takes away from the spy game that was. And I get that they kind of like, all right, we need to we need a big spectacular ending because this is the price of admission. I get it, but for the storyline itself, it's it, it, the story was never a spectacular. Um, on the edge of your seat action. It was very much a rich yeah. story. So when the film goes in yeah. and now all of a sudden there's a bunch of people chasing with boats and, and helicopters and stuff like that. Um, for me, it's very, it's not true to the whole story, but I get why they have it. Yeah. But I, I it does just, break from the rest of the film. But to be fair, at some point, I would have liked to see how Tatiana get the, the, just the kill Greg, Red Grant and that's the end of it. Mm. It would have been nice to have a little bit, hey, this isn't over yet. I still have to get her to the embassy. There's still a thing to get. And we just assumed that everything else went swimmingly well for the rest of the time. So, uh, I, uh, I'm gonna, uh, I'll go, I'll go film. I'm gonna go film on it. Okay. Where are you going? For if we're going up until the hotel, then it definitely goes with the book. Okay. If we include the final scene, well, that's different. Okay. Uh, but I go with the book at the moment. Let's do it with the final scene. The final scene. We got Rosa yeah. Club. Go for it. Yeah. What, do you, what do you think about the very ending? So, I'll say straight up, I like the film. <laughs> and the reason I like the film is because Rosa Klebb goes to kill Bond, not Bond going, because he's literally been told the hotel and the room where she's going mm. to be and the time. Um, but I also love that it puts focus back onto Tatiana, right? There's the moment where she she has the gun and she's choosing her side literally choosing yeah. which side to go with and for me that's great although the last line you rarely of the book you know spoiler alert um is as bond's being poisoned yeah renee matisse is there the the yeah, yeah. I, yeah. There, I heard i, I read that i watched something where fleming was getting really sick of doing this so he almost <laughs> the last the last six books he did almost were like all right this is the last time i'm done with this guy i'm sick of writing about this guy which I always wondered if that first chapter of Bond, I said it was just like Sherlock Holmes, right? And this mm. is really, you know, uh, James Bond's Reichenbach Falls when, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle tries to kill off Sherlock Holmes and did in, in, in the original yeah. uh, Reichenbach Falls scene. Right? His death was reported in the Times. I almost wonder if this is bookending it, that, yeah, he's just like Sherlock Holmes and like Sherlock Holmes, I'm the author who's going to kill off my favorite character. <laughs> It's a, it's a funny tie-in. Yeah. So I'll give you the final tallies. So in a razor-thin mouth... We're, now, this isn't... This, you can still pick which one is better. This is just the little parts that we have. I'll tell you how we graded it. You have a 8 to 7 ratio Fleming over film. Wow. I have a 9 to 6 ratio film over Fleming. But wow. <laughs> razor thin. But the regardless, who wins? Fleming or film? For me, 
It is Fleming. Yeah. I'd say that coin's been spinning round and round and round. <laughs> if it has to come down on the side, yeah, I'll go Fleming. You know what? I'm going to join I... you. Despite the fact that... Oh, wow. Despite the fact that I went 9 to 6, despite the fact that I love the film so much, it's probably... Ugh, it's between that and Casino Royale is my favorite. Uh, I'm going to say that the rich texture of the story of the novel... Um, is just what I love about the James Bond series the most. It's the, my favorite part of the Cold War, the the Russia, everything. Um, and the way it's portrayed, the deep dive that it goes into cultures, the deep dive it goes into everything else. For that reason, it breaks my heart. Again, coin flip could go either way. I'm going <laughs> Fleming too, buddy. I'm joining you. Flem- Fleming's going to win from Russia with love. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get my Turkish delight to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. Uh, this has been one hour and 23 minutes of talking about book and film, and it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, Thomas Felix Creighton, is there anything you want to plug before we uh, sign off on this? No, I just want to say thank you so much uh, for giving me the opportunity. And I had I'd never f- realized how how deeply I think about these films books, <laughs> all the time, how much my own life has been guided by them, of going to locations out and trying all the foods. And Josh, I, I realized maybe I need to just go and rethink my life. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good I know. I, I, think I, I think I went too, uh, too in the clouds maybe on this one. But I, I loved it. I loved our deep dives. and uh, uh-huh. I loved everything. And Thomas, as always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I can't have you on this thing enough. Um, so thank you so much for coming on. And again, we've got a double winner for Fleming versus film all right guys until next time it's been quantum of history signing off thank you stay positive out there take care and follow everything thomas felix creighton does instagram Fleming never dies i'll be on never dies uh so much good stuff just anything this dude does is touches he's midas he's uh he's 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 great so follow everything Thank you, Thomas, for doing this. It was a blast. I had a lot of fun doing this. Thank you, everyone who still follows me. Thank you, everyone I got to meet at Gatherall, too. I couldn't stay very long. I had uh, finals and stuff, so I, I could only stay for a little bit, sadly. I would have, but I really, I, I loved uh, hanging out with anybody. And anybody who's listening who doesn't, who hasn't been to any of these gatherings with people, and when they're open invitation, just go. I'm telling you, the people that, that followed the Bond, the Bond community, everyone's so welcoming, so nice. You're going to have instant friends, and uh, it's definitely an experience to go. Friends that you're going to want to have, people you're going to want to meet. So if you get a chance to be a part of something like Gatherall or anything else, these open invitation places, if you have any apprehension, because I know I'm not particularly a shy guy, but even me, me the first time I went to Gatherall, it was intimidating. You go through, you listen to, you're there with all the people that you listen to and stuff like that. Uh, it can be a little intimidating. I know it was for me the first time I went, but I encourage everybody to go. Uh, if you want to go to those one of the events, you know, I'm going, feel free to message me on Instagram and I will make sure that, you know, at least I'll introduce you to whoever and uh, I will, you know, be there and at least you'll have a friend, at least one. You know, it always helps to have one person that you know before going in. Um, but definitely take them one, take take advantage of these things. They're great fun. They're a great community. Everybody is really great. Thanks again, David, for putting that on. And I hope to look forward to meeting a lot of you. I met a lot of you at Gatherall. 
I, I just really, I, I really appreciate all the support. And it's so cool to meet people that, you know, listen in. Now, the first time I went to Gather All, I was somebody who listened to, watch David Zabritsky and listened to Joe Darlington. And then this time it was cool actually having people come up to me and be like, hey, I, I listened to your podcast. So that was it was really great, and I truly, 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 truly appreciate all of you. I truly appreciate everyone in this community. It's been great. I've loved it, uh, and I'm so excited to be behind the mic again. I have. It's, it feels like it's been forever. Uh, so I'm very excited for what's going forward, and we're going to have a lot of guests, a lot of episodes, a lot of quantum history coming up, and it's not that far away. It's going to be the, bro- the henchman bracket. Yeah, we did it with the Bond Girl bracket, and uh, it's going to be March. March is coming. So get your henchmen ready. Get your debating ready. It's going to be exciting. I'm going to start getting that all together. A lot of stuff going forward. So without further ado, thank you guys so much. Follow, subscribe, comment, leave a five-star rating. Do whatever you got to do. I appreciate it, guys. And until next time, stay positive up there. This has been Quantum of History. This has been Donnie Waldron. This has been Fleming versus Film. And this has been From Russia with Love. If you like what you saw, then hit that subscribe button. Comment down below and leave a like and then and hit that subscribe button. Why are you not hitting that subscribe button?